Welcome to the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. I'm your host, Betsy Jewell. Today's episode covers a topic that I don't often talk about on the podcast, college admissions. If you're a regular listener, you know that many of my conversations focus on post-high school paths that don't require college. I thought it was important to delve deeper into the college planning process, primarily because I've been hearing from a lot of parents about the overwhelm they're facing as their teens begin the college application process. And to be completely transparent, this is personal for me. Our high school junior has made the decision to attend college after high school graduation, and already I'm feeling the confusion, overwhelm, and information overload that so many families experience. If you've begun the online research, you know there is a lot of information out there, some accurate and helpful and some not. It takes a lot of time and patience to dig through the myriad of resources, and even then, it's hard to know which ones provide correct information and which ones create the hair-on-fire mentality. This week's guest is an expert in her field and a breath of fresh air for parents who want to help their teen find the best fit. Notice I didn't say find the best college. That's right. I said, find the best fit because best college is completely subjective and our main focus should be helping our kids find the best fit for them. I'm joined today by Allison Slater-Tate. If you live in Florida and have a teen pursuing the college path, you may already be a member of Allison's Facebook group. No matter where you call home, you have likely come across Allison's work on NBC News, Today.com, and Your Teen Magazine. Allison has extensive experience in test prep, essay writing, and college counseling, and she has the inside scoop on the real truth about college admissions. Our conversation is straightforward, no-nonsense, and drama-free. So sit back and enjoy this pleasant trip down the college admissions path. Hi, Allison. Thanks so much for being here today on the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here. I'm looking forward to this conversation. I don't talk to a lot of people in higher ed. Um, Most of my conversations on the podcast are about alternate paths, Mm -hmm. trade schools, community college. Well, I guess that is higher ed, but um, (laughs) the working world, future Mm -hmm. of work. But I think this is a really important conversation because you you have the inside scoop, as I call it, <laughs> for kids who do want to go to college or and or have the means to go to college. So yeah. before we I into all the questions, and I have lots of them, can you just give a quick introduction to my audience about who you are and what you do? Sure. Um, I am a college counselor at a small private high school in Central Florida, uh, Lake Mary Preparatory School where I think they have the best college counselor ever. And uh, I'm also an independent college consultant for a firm called Dunbar Educational Consultants. We're based in New Canaan, Connecticut. And I like doing both because they challenge different parts of my brain. Um, And I really get to have a broad overview of college admissions from um, a perspective of both, you know, Florida kids, Um, American kids and international students, which is really awesome. I'm also a professional writer and a freelance journalist. I've written for NBC News and the Today Show's uh, digital sites for the past six years. And I have been writing for outlets like 
the Huffington Post, the Washington Post, um, Grown and Flown, and your teen magazine for about the past uh, 10 years. So you have lots of experience in lots of places with lots of different people. Yeah, I have been able to get a very broad overview for a long time. I actually started working in college admissions and and prep in my 20s. I had been working in TV and film in Los Angeles. And when I decided that I wanted to transition to grad school, I had a, a little bit of a buffer time. And so while I was waiting to get into grad school and taking the GRE myself, I went and interviewed for Kaplan and I became a Kaplan tutor. I tutored kids in standardized tests one-on-one all over Los Angeles, mostly in Malibu and Hidden Hills, which was not a bad gig, honestly. Uh, Test prep tutor to the stars, as it were. And it kind of, from there, I started helping some of my students with their college essays or filling out their applications because even back then in the 2000, 2001 time frame, it was still getting a little more complicated to apply to college. So I've really been involved in one way or another for a really long time and been able to get an overview from the test prep arena and then in the essay writing and the writing portions of applying to college. And then now as a school counselor, I talk to 70 to 90 colleges a year. I I'm in professional groups. And I wrote for NBC News about college for a long time. And so I've been able to interview deans of admission from Ivy's to University of Florida and everywhere else. So it's been really great. You, so you have like a 360 view because you have it from the inside, from a parent point of view, as a mom to four, four kids, <laughs> <laughs> some in college and some not there yet. Yeah. I have a third grader, an eighth grader, an 11th grader, and a he was a college freshman. Now he's on leave of absence. Thank you, COVID. Okay. Uh, so he will be finishing his freshman year next year. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I also have a, a high school junior, so I'm in that same boat right now, which is actually this conversation is going to be super helpful to me personally. And it's really where a lot of my questions came from. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, the college application process in general has changed so significantly since I went to school a million years ago um, and then quit school and then went back to school. <laughs> but that's another conversation for another podcast. Yeah. Um, but yes and no. Let me stop you there for a minute. Yes and no. It it has in some ways a lot like the University of Florida, when I applied to the University of Florida in 1991, uh, you filled out the front and back of a piece of cardstock um, in your own handwriting, and you stapled a check for $25 or $75 if you were applying to three state schools, and the essay was optional, and you mailed it off, and you saw where you got in. However, um, even back then, I was a college nerd. I've always liked colleges. I've always been interested in college admissions. And my father had bought me like the college guides uh, when I was in high school because I told him I wanted to go to Princeton. I told my college counselor at Lake Mary High School when I was in eighth grade that I wanted to go to Princeton. And she said, well, then we have a lot of work to do. And Mm -hmm. 
she still lives in central Florida and she was like a second mother to me. I was super lucky to have a counselor who really did um, take the time and put the effort and went above and beyond even back then for all of her students. But her reaction to me saying, I want to go to Princeton when I was 13 years old and her not saying, well, pff, good luck or yeah, so does everybody's sister. Um, but saying, well, then we have a lot of work to do really did shape the way that I look at college admissions and the way I interact with kids. I try to be very, very real with them, but I also never want to be the dream crusher or to tell a kid you shouldn't apply there, that I don't believe in that. So that was, that was a big sh like influence on my um, work as a counselor. But I will tell you, I ended up applying to 10 schools, including a couple of Ivies, including the University of California system. I, I applied to UCLA, including schools like Pomona and uh, Duke and um, Williams and Stanford. And I wrote a lot of essays. I had to take the SAT and the ACT. I had test prep. I went through a lot of the same things that the kids do now. The biggest difference is that the state schools have changed. I mean, the University of Florida has gotten a lot more competitive and they ask for a lot more things than they used to, for sure. That's changed. But the other thing that's really changed is just the awareness and because of the internet. Uh, the kids that I went to high school with in you know the 1990s, the early 90s, they, I would wear a Dartmouth sweatshirt to school and they'd say, what's Dartmouth? Or, you know, they would, they've never heard of Amherst. They've never heard of Williams. And now because of the internet, the students can Google search, you know, U.S. News and World Report rankings and figure out what the top schools are and apply to them. And, and then they can also look up all the ways to strategize to apply to them and all the different, you know, chatter and gossip about what you should do and what you shouldn't do and ooh, what's going to keep you out and what's not going to keep you out and all that kind of stuff. And that's really the key difference is how much kids are aware and how much access kids have to applying because it, it was still hard back in the 90s and it was still, I wrote a lot of essays, but I didn't have the whole world telling me what I should and shouldn't do. I just wrote essays, like just wrote them genuinely as myself and then put them in a mailer and had to go stand in line at the post office and send them off instead of clicking send and, you know, putting a credit card into the computer. Yeah. And there's so much noise in the air now, right? And there's so much bad information Absolutely. and so much, yeah, people will give you advice and it's completely not helpful. And for everyone who can't see Allison right now, she's shaking her head <laughs> no violently. Like, so, so let's talk about that. So this is my first college experience. It might be for a lot of other people who are listening. How do you know what, which voices to listen to or what information is accurate? Because again, the conversation on the high school hamster wheel is usually let's not drive our kids crazy and burn them out, right? Mm -hmm. So what can we do to make this process less stressful, less overwhelming? Like how can we make this, I don't know if I could say pleasant, but- it can What's be. the best way to get through this? No, it can be. And it should be. College admissions is all about possibilities and hope and future. It should be awesome. Like the kids should be so thrilled with looking forward to what all lies ahead of them. I, I That's why I love it because they have 
it is about hope. Like it's about possibility and future. It's forward looking. I love that about it. And I love working with teenagers, love it because they are honest and they are hopeful and they are resilient and adaptive so much more than adults are. Um, and I love being around them and, and that energy. What you can do, I mean, the most important thing you can do to help your kids and going through this process is to do the work on yourself first. Before you talk to your kids, you have to have a come to Jesus with yourself because I think that you can all day long, you can tell your kids, doesn't matter where you go, where you go is not who you'll be. Um, you can be successful no matter what you do. It doesn't matter where you start, but if you don't walk the walk, they completely call you out on that. They, they're like horses. They can smell fear and they can smell when you are lying to them and they know it. And if you're going to be disappointed in the path that your kid chooses, or if you're going to be disappointed, if your kid doesn't go to Harvard, they know it. And there is nothing that anybody can do to undo that when you have put that into their heads, totally without meaning to, and with the best of intentions. That's what I mean when I say you have to do the work on yourself. You have to be at peace with yourself. And you have to say, I have raised an amazing human being who is going to be fine. They're going to be fine. It's going to work out. And I think that it's really awful what's happened to parenting. And as a parenting writer, I mean, I do report on parenting too. Parents, I have so much empathy for other parents and myself. I mean, I mess up all the time, screw up all the time, have these worries all the time, lose sleep all the time. We have been made to think that the stakes are so high for our kids that they cannot misstep or I don't know what we think is going to happen. Like they're going to be uh, like sleeping in our, you know, guest bedrooms forever. They'll never get a job. They'll never be employed. They'll never be able to support themselves. It's not true. I, whatever narrative has gotten into our heads, it's not true. And I have to undo a lot of what parents believe before I can even get to the kids. Um, you know, I think that we forget that our first job out of college was not what we're doing now. 90% of the time, for sure. Life is long and your 20s are for figuring out who you're going to be and what you're going to do with your life. We've drilled it into our heads that our kids have to like go to college and know exactly what they're doing the minute they step out of those gates. When kids come into my office, they the first thing they'll say to me is, these are my grades. Are they good enough? These are my activities. Are they good enough? Are these? This is what I like to do in my life. Is that good? Um, this is the major I want to pick, but is that like a good major or should I pick a different major because it's easier to get into that way? Or um, I don't know, like, are my test scores good enough? And I firmly believe that the job of the parent is to let your child know that you believe that they are good enough no matter where they go, no matter what they do, no matter what they want to do. Lord knows, no matter what their test score is, they're good enough. Like they're good enough human beings. That's the most important thing. And then what they do academically and who they are as students is just a whole different story. And it doesn't matter when it comes to who they are as a human being. They're a good human being and they're well-equipped to be human beings. Who cares where they go to college? 
Um, But the kids don't think that. And the kids, I have so many kids come in and say, my mom talks to her friends and her friends' kids are going to fill in the blank school. And she really wants me to go there. And if I don't get in there, she's going to be sad. They're, They're afraid of disappointing us. And they're afraid of making us sad. And I tell kids all the time, I guarantee you that wherever you end up going to college is going to be your mother's favorite place ever because they let her baby in and that her baby is going to college there. And I don't care where you go. You can go to Buxtahoodie State U. Your mother is going to be putting that bumper sticker on her car and it's going to be her favorite college ever. And she's going to tell all her friends how amazing it is. And she's going to be the one on the phone. Um, and they look at me and they say, I don't, I don't think you're right because they listen so much Mm -hmm. to what we say and do. And I also will sit with kids and try to create balanced college lists for them where they have their reach schools that they, they dream about that are selective and, and maybe harder to get into. And then they have some, you know, mid range schools that maybe they, you know, that's a good maybe. And then there's schools that they can definitely get into. Those are always the hardest to pick um, because you never like the club that's going to accept you for sure, right? You don't want to go there. Um, and I will may, make a suggestion for a likely school on their list and they'll say, well, my dad said that's not a good school or my mom says I'm not going there. And you know, the parents will then say to me, they don't listen to anything I say. And I'm like, they listen to everything you say. So Mm -hmm. the number one way to take pressure off your kids is to actually believe that it would be fine for them to go to community college. It would be fine for them to go to that college that you think is not good enough for them, that you think they deserve more than. Um, You have to believe it and do that work on yourself before you can tell your kid that they're going to be okay no matter where they go. And that's what I would tell any parent, including my own self, um, which I have done that. I've been doing that work on myself for my kids for years. And it is hard and it's not easy, but it is crucial or else it's pretty miserable. It's an epidemic. Like I feel like every conversation, you know, I go on the Facebook groups like the Grown and Flones and all those, and it's Ivy Day today. So people are already posting the kids, like, as you know, all too well, the kids are already posting. My kid got into X, Y, and Z, and it's like, it's become this event. It's trophy hunting. It's it's become trophy hunting is what. Yeah, exactly. I mean, people are having college reveal parties. Yeah. You know, first it was, (laughs) first it was baby gender. Now it's, I'm like, what? What is that? Like they are I I will tell you I reported on that actually um I think for the Today show and I on the one hand I think it's gross the college reveal parties but on the other hand what I found was that it's the kids driving that the kids want to do it and they look at look at where they come from their whole lives are documented and that starts with us right we document them first before they document themselves Um, We take a million pictures of them before they decide they're going to put a million selfies on social media. We're, we're, we started that. And I don't blame these kids for being natives of the world that they've grown up in. And they have grown up in a world where you document your life on social media. And I think that it's a way for them to try and celebrate what has not been a very pleasant experience usually. And what Mm -hmm. has been very stressful and probably really hard. 
I love this generation so much because they're not afraid to put the video on TikTok of them getting rejected to their dream school. They're not afraid of it. They do it anyway. And I don't think my generation would have done that. I think that we would have tucked away all the ugly and only shown you the good part and good for them. Um, so I think that gender reveal or not gender reveal, gender reveal parties are really awful. Like they should go away. <laughs> but college reveal parties, if it's driven by the kid and not by the parent, and it should always be driven by the kid and not by the parent, then I can get behind it if it's a way for these kids to try and make something good out of a stressful year. But yeah, it is a thing. And parents are definitely, parents have to do the work. Like they have to prioritize and be good role models and not, you know, not trophy, not use their kids as trophy, not use their kids to validate themselves and where their kids are in college. Yep. I think there's a lot of that. I think it's either I didn't get, I didn't get to go there. So you're going to go there or I did go there. So you're going to go there. Um, I think there's a lot of that, but I also think higher ed plays a role in this. I mean, Look, the standards are what they are, right? And and they get harder. Some would say they get harder every year. I mean, you could dispute that. You don't think so. I mean, you know better than I do, but yeah. it just I you know, I keep hearing stories of and we had this conversation earlier of kids who everybody was so sure was going to get into school X and didn't and everybody's like throws their hands up and says, "Well, if they don't get in, nobody can get in." But but it's not that simple, right? But yeah, because kids are getting in every year. I mean, the the truth of it is the same amount of kids are getting in every year. They have a class to fill every year. The way I explain it to the kids is it's like you're having a dinner party and you have a table of a certain size and you have a certain number of seats around the table and you have to decide who you're inviting to the dinner party every year. And you're not going to want every seat at the table to be filled by somebody who looks exactly like the next person can talk only about the same subjects as the next person has only the same world perspective as the next person. You want a dinner party with all different kinds of perspectives, all different kinds of people from all different kinds of places who bring their own gifts and their own strengths to that table. That makes a good dinner party. And unfortunately there just are a limited amount of seats and no matter how many amazing people you know, you're only going to be able to invite as many people as you have seats for. And at Princeton, which is where I went and where my husband went, um, they're limited. They have 1,309 beds for a class, like literally limited by bed space, by actual bed space. And so they have to figure out from an enrollment management perspective, how many people can they admit every year and fill those 1,309 beds? Not more than those 1,309 beds because then we have to figure out where we're putting those people and not fewer than 1,309 beds because we want to have a full class and we certainly want to have as many people be Princetonians as possible. Like you want to offer that opportunity to as many kids as you possibly can. So that's the enrollment manager's quandary every year at every single one of these colleges. But if you look at those 1,309 beds and you say certain number of them have to be recruited athletes because you know what? Colleges need athletes. Colleges have sports. They have teams. And 
I liked having sports at my college. If you don't like having sports, there are colleges that don't have a lot of sports and you can go to them. But I like sports. Like I'm I'm not athletic, but I'm a really good fan. I'm really, really good at sitting in a stadium um, and cheering other people on. So I'm glad that there are athletes sitting at that table. I want there to be athletes. And then you have a certain number of kids who uh, come from other places in the world. And you want that. That's something you want. You want international students. There are underrepresented minorities. Absolutely, you want diversity and all different colored faces at that table. You don't want to all look alike. You want to have diversity and different perspectives. And when you come down to it and you go through that list of all the people who need to have seats at the table, there just aren't a lot of seats left for your average spectacular student who has perfect scores and grades. There's lots and lots and lots of people who could fill those spots and they have to figure out which ones to give. And the funny thing is that when I was admitted to Princeton, they accepted more people than they do now for a smaller class than they have now. And that's because their yield, the amount of people who say yes, to Princeton when they offer them admission has gone up because of financial aid. Because back when I applied, a lot of kids couldn't afford to go there, even if they got in. But now they have no debt graduation and no loan financial aid. And so now if you get in, chances are you can afford to go there. So I think something like 80 something percent of the kids who are offered admission go. So they actually have to offer admission to fewer kids because otherwise They'll get too many yeses and they'll have too many kids coming. It's kind of hmm. crazy. So that makes it harder. But honestly, what Princeton has asked for and what any of these Ivies, Ivies, you know, state schools have asked for, they're still looking for the same kids. They're not looking for anything different. They haven't said, okay, we used to be cool with a 30 and now we're not cool until you have a 36 on the ACT. Sorry. It's more like, They're still looking for the same kids, but the kids are, and the parents, like the machine is driving these kids to do more, 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 hoping that they'll stand out. And, you know, standing out doesn't happen with perfect scores and grades because lots of kids get perfect scores and grades. Right. Okay. So what does make a kid stand out? Aside from the things you talked about, right? The diversity and athletics, how do regular students who have great scores and great grades like what is it is it the extracurriculars is it the essay is it what's the what's the secret sauce Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of all those things I mean at a school that's practicing holistic admissions they look at everything so honestly everything has to be you know kind of different and outstanding in its own way but I think that these schools really look for, they look for specialists instead of generalists. So when I was in school, I was in a million clubs and I was good at everything, but nothing particularly well, except for writing, maybe. Um, These days that wouldn't fly very well, unless I had really doubled down on writing and really, really, really drilled into writing. Um, It, they're looking for kids who are bringing a specific talent or interest to the table. And they want to see that these kids have taken initiative to pursue those interests outside of school. They're not just kids who checked in and checked out, went to school and did their thing, 
um, went home and, you know, binged on Netflix. Like they, these are kids who, the kids that I have talked to over the years and worked with over the years, they're like creating algorithms to track space junk on their laptops in their bedrooms. And they're um, coming up with a student this year. She created her own tutoring company to tutor kids in India on the internet in Spanish. So she speaks English, but she tutors kids who speak uh, their native language in whichever part of India they're from. And she teaches them Spanish. So she's working with three languages there and she's doing it as a charitable act. Um, and then she's also doing tutoring locally for money, but she is, uh, she created that. And then she recruited other students to help her who could do both, who could speak to the kids in India and teach them Spanish. She, over the course of the pandemic, she continued to do that and to support local kids in their academics. So, you know, th those are extreme cases and those, mm. those kids are going to IVs, right? But local kids like who are trying to go to the University of Florida, they're just putting time and effort into whatever they love. I tell the kids, colleges want kids who care about something. You just need to care about something. And it honestly does not matter what it is. It doesn't have to, you don't have to be St. Teresa and you don't have to um, find a new element on the periodic table. You just have to care about something and you have to be able to write about it and you have to be able to articulate what you care about and why you care about it. And it can be birding. It can be uh, collecting stamps. It can be uh, tracking algorithms for space junk on your laptop. It can be all of those things. You just have to genuinely care about it because you can tell when you read an essay <laughs> You can tell if a kid is telling you something they think you want to hear, and you can tell when a kid literally is geeking out about something they're super in love with. And I don't like the word passion. I think it's hard to say this is my passion or that you know a 16-year-old should have a passion. Um, but I just say, what do you care about? What, what lights you up? Like what makes you feel excited? And those are the things that they look for. They want kids who are excited about something, who are going to come to campus and be excited about something and share that with other people. That stands out. I'm Anne-Marie Kelly. Wild Precious Life is a podcast about dreaming big, digging in and connecting across distance, division, and loss. In each episode, I talk with prize-winning writers, musicians, and wanderers who remind all of us how we can make the most of the time we have. So meet me here. Let's walk and talk and dream and discover what it means to be wild, precious, and brave. Let's talk about fit, right? How do you find a good fit school? And especially now, right? We can't visit campuses and... I mean, some you can, some you can't. How do you go about find, helping your teen find the best fit? There are different tools on the internet that you can start with. Um, one that I really like is score.com, which is S-C-O-I-R. Uh, I believe schools in Orange County have accounts now, um, like, yeah, in Florida. But different schools are using score. You can get a school account and then and use it through your school. But you can also get a free account as an individual. You don't have to have it through your school. And I really like their search engine. I think it's really clean and intuitive and easy to use. The kids really like it and can navigate it really well and easily. And the important thing 
you fill out the profile on score as much as you can and give it as much information about your scores and your grades and your interests, your activities. And then it asks you, what are your must-haves in a college? What are your nice-to-haves? And what are your no-thank-yous? And then it will generate a list of suggestions. And some of them are going to be you know, schools that you would never consider ever. And then others are going to be more interesting. Um, and sometimes I start there with kids and have them look through. And I teach them how to look at the result pages because I want kids to be consumers. I don't want them to feel like they're sitting there being plucked from the masses to, you know, be anointed as the new college student at college X. I want them to feel like they're actually making kind of the hugest purchase ever here and to be good stewards of their education and their goals. Um, so I teach them how to read the different stats that are on the search results, including the freshman retention rate for a college, because that means the percentage of students who come back for sophomore year can be very telling. Because why is a student not coming back for sophomore year? There's a couple of different reasons why you might not. And they could include, you know, not getting good academic support from a college. Like, are you failing out because you're not getting good academic support? Um, not getting financial support that you need. It's also something important to know. And not liking it, not liking something about the culture, the social part of the culture or the academics or the way that classes are run. What do they not like and why? That's what I want to know. If a freshman has just chosen this college and gets there and turns around and doesn't come back for sophomore year, I want to know why. So with state schools, that number is going to be lower just because they're very large and kids have a lot of different reasons for not staying. Um, but I look for, you know, a 70% or higher freshman retention rate. And then for private schools, especially small ones, I expect that number to be pretty high. I would like it to be over 85%. And if it's not, I want to research why. So I kind of teach the kids these different things to look at. SCORE has videos on the, their college pages made by students. I tell them how to look up videos that students make on YouTube, like a real day in the life at Vanderbilt. Um, and I also warn them that that's one student's perspective and might not be what another kid would say. I think, and I firmly believe if you ask 10 kids at the University of Florida what they think, you'll get 10 different answers. It's a large school and all different majors and all different departments. Um, but, you know, the best thing for kids to do, because honestly, when you're talking to a 16 or 17 year old teenager and you say, well, where do you want to go to college? How the heck are they supposed to know where they want to go to college? I mean, they haven't done this before. I think if you talk to college grads, they could tell you what they want in a college because they've already done it and they know what went right and what went wrong. But you're talking to teenagers who they they can tell you what they don't like about high school, but it's nothing like college. So. I think it's important to acknowledge that with teenagers because I, I think that we put a lot of expectations on them that they kind of look at us and think we are crazy. Like, how am I supposed to know where I want to go to college? Uh, I've never done that. And I don't just want to go where you went and you don't know anything because you went to college 30 years ago. So what do you know? So I tell them you need to do research. The best thing you could possibly do is put feet on the ground at campuses. Obviously, that's a struggle right now, but we do have schools that are giving tours and I also tell them to keep an open mind and to start with their local place, start with the colleges that are right around you. You can get to those places. The ones you can make a day trip to, 
just start with those. And honestly, even if you would never in a million trillion years go to that college, it's you're still going to learn something about college by going on a college visit. And you're going to learn things that you like about that certain school and things you don't like. And you can apply that to other colleges. You can say, does that college have the things that I liked about that one college that I went and looked at? Or is it more like things I don't like? It's You have to give them some kind of basis for comparison. And until they've seen it, how are they supposed to know how to compare it? And student panels, when you're doing virtual tours, virtual tours have really gotten much better over the past year. And information sessions have gotten much better. But there is no replacing listening to students talk about their schools because they know what's going on and they're brutally honest and they are not going to have the spin or the PR that the colleges themselves are going to have. So I like to get a lot of different perspectives from students at different schools. You mentioned earlier um, holistic admissions. Can you talk a little bit about that? Like, how do you find schools that are more holistically geared for admissions? So I would say that a lot of a lot of colleges are holistic at this point, but holistic admissions means that it's not about there's no cutoff for scores or cutoff for grades. They're going to look at everything in context about your student. They're going to look at their essays. They're going to look at their test scores. They're going to look at their grades, but not just their grades, but what classes they took and how, where they are in context of the student body at their school. What does their school offer classes-wise? Did your student challenge themselves? Did they take the easy route? Did they challenge themselves at first and then kind of coast at the end? Did they have an upward trajectory? So maybe freshman year was a bit of a transition, but then they kind of got it and then they were off to the races from there and they did really, really well at the end. They're going to look at all of those things and really try to get to know who your student is as a person. Um, And they're also going to look at their leadership, who they are in their community. Are they someone who builds connections in their community? That kind of thing. So I would say large state schools are the ones that have the hardest time doing that because they, I mean, UCLA had 100,000 applications before this year. I think they had 140,000 applications this year. Good luck being holistic there. I mean, that's wow applications. Um, but, you know, in our state system in Florida, the University of Florida is pretty holistic. And I can say that because they rank essays as more important than test scores. Like they literally rank them that way and they guarantee they read your essays. So if they're looking at essays and I've seen in the results from my own students, I can tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that they definitely are looking at essays more than test scores from just what I've seen in results. Um, that is a holistic admissions process. So I would say if you're looking for holistic admissions, you're looking at smaller private schools or you're looking at state schools that have made it a goal to be more holistic and to, you know, be looking at essays. The University of Florida requires essays. Some state universities don't require essays. And that would point towards a less holistic process. This is so interesting. I'm like (laughs) taking notes, lots of notes. What other myths are there? What are like the biggest myths around college acceptance, college admissions? Anything else that parents should 
like throw out the window and not pay attention to? I feel like everything is a myth, right? That I all I hear are myths, actually. Um, I think there's a myth that, you know, kids, well, first of all, there's a myth that it's really hard to get into college now. Um, it's not really hard to get into college at all. There are colleges begging for applications at this moment, begging. They would love for you to come there. Uh, in in the state of Florida, I, a couple of our state universities are going to have a hard time making their classes this year because we had the testing requirement and it um, it really gutted them in applications. So it's not hard to go to college. Over 80% of colleges and universities in the United States take more than half of their applicants. They have more than a 50% acceptance rate. What's hard to get into are that handful of schools that are the other 20%. Those are hard to get into, yes, but the others aren't. So I think that, you know, that would be one myth because Parents are always saying, it's so hard to get into college these days. No, it's not. It's not hard to get into college. I can get anybody into a college. It's getting into the specific college that you've decided you have to go to. That's hard, usually. Um, the second myth would be that you have to have perfect grades. Uh, you can't get into college if you have a C. You can't get into college if you have a D. And if you fail, well, I mean, you might as well just pack it up and go home. Nobody's going to college now. That's not true. And colleges are thoughtful. Even large schools that are less holistic are thoughtful about grades. They really do try to figure out, you know, what happened. And um, and I think that you need to put it into the, to the context of they are truly trying to figure out if this student can can survive at college. Like, can the student do the work would be the main question. Is that student going to be able to come back sophomore year for our freshman retention rate? Is that student going to be able to graduate in four to six years? Those are the numbers that are important to a college and to um, an enrollment manager as a business, like from a business point of view. I need students who are going to survive freshman year and survive to graduation. Is this Does this kid make that threshold? After that, it's not, it's not that brutal, um, at least at most of the colleges in this country. I think the other myth is that everybody is going to go to college for free, especially my child. There's lots of scholarship money just sitting around out there. And if we can just get our hands on it, they're coasting. And these colleges should be paying us to go there for sure. Um, that's not true. Like they need to keep their lights on. And it is expensive to be a college in America. I think um, people don't understand how expensive it is. And one of the things that is really a bummer about my job is when I have to point out that even if you get a twenty dollars or $30,000 scholarship to a private college, if that private college's cost of attendance is seventy grand a year, you are still on the hook for forty grand, my friend, every year. That's a lot of money. And there's no way to get around that. Like it's not, I have a lot of parents who say, well, we're not we're not worried about the money part yet. We're just going to make it work. We're going to see where they get in and then we'll make it work for the right college. I'm like I think you really need to think about what make it work means because you can't make money fall out of thin air. Like it's either you either have it or you don't. You either have a way to make that happen or you do not. And if you do not, that just needs to be on the table for everybody from the beginning because you don't want to break your kid's heart after they get into a college and you say I just, I, mm. and 
even if you can't afford it, maybe you don't want to afford it. Like maybe you don't want to change your lifestyle so that your kid can go to a fancy private college instead of the state, the state university flagship university that is really affordable. And that's valid, totally legit choice. Just make sure your kids know what the deal is because that's fair. Uh, Another myth would be things like kids need to be in all these activities, especially National Honor Society. We're killing ourselves to get into National Honor Society and Spanish Honor Society. And, you know, that needs to go on their application. Like the colleges need to know about that. No, they don't. If your kid has great grades, they're going to assume they could probably make it into National Honor Society. It's a little redundant. They're looking at their grades anyway. Um, They don't need to be in a million activities. They really need to be in maybe two three-ish. They're looking for depth, not breadth. They're looking for like going deep diving into your interests and what you care about, not being in 800,000 activities and, you know, never being home and, and never taking a breath. I also think that people have this image of college admissions counselors as like, like evil old people who are, you know, like Zeus or something like striking kids down with thunderbolts. There are a lot of them are in their 20s and they're fresh out of school. Um, Some of them are some of them do it as a career and they're, you know, they range in age. But I would say, especially after the last year and talking to so many of them on Zoom and going through this pandemic with them, they get teenagers and care about teenagers more than almost anyone I know. Like they Mm. see it. They read these kids stories they listen to their hearts like splayed out on the paper and they they don't like telling people no. It's the worst part of their job. Um, they're human beings. They have parents. They've gone through this pandemic too. I'd say that they love and care about what happens to teenagers just as much as teachers do. Like they really, they're good people. And I think that that's important to remember because you're not just sending these applications off to a faceless institution, you're sending it off to people. And that's important. Yeah, it's a great point. And I heard somebody say recently, because their daughter didn't get into the school that she wanted. And she was, the mom said, it's not personal. You know, it's not that they're saying you, Jane Doe, (laughs) you're not getting in. It is personal, right? I mean, it feels personal. Mm -hmm. Um, but on the flip side, it's not some machine making the decision. It's people it's making the decisions. People. I get really upset when people say things about the University of Florida and they'll say their decisions never make sense. It's like a crapshoot. It's just like the lottery. Nobody can make any sense of it. Um, you know, the wrong people get in every year and, you know, kids with lower grades and scores get in than other kids. And who knows how that works? That is so disrespectful. These people, this is their job. Job. They've worked Mm -hmm. so hard for so many hours and they've read all these essays and they're trying so hard to make good decisions. And having worked with them and literally spoken to them about individual students before, they do know these kids' applications. They care about them. They're trying to build a campus and a culture. They make decisions for reasons that sometimes don't make sense to us. And I would say when people ask me, like, what's the most important element in a college application? Like, what is the biggest factor in a college application? I say 
it's the institutional needs of that college that year. And you are never going to know what it is because they change year to year and they're never going to tell you. <laughs> they're not going to tell you we had too many engineers say yes last year. So this year we're going to take fewer engineers or um, we really need to have more fine arts majors this year. And if you're a fine arts major, this could be your lucky, your lucky shot. Um, they're never, ever going to say that. And that is number one. It's what they're looking for that year. And so it isn't personal. And it also is the most personal. It's the most personal and the least personal ever. And I think that the bottom line in that paradox is that it is never, ever a measure of a student's worth as a person or as a student. It's not a meritocracy. It's not if you work hard enough you will get what you want. It's if you work hard enough, you're in contention for what you want. You are considered, um, but you're not guaranteed anything as we saw tonight over and over again. Nobody is guaranteed anything. And that's a hard lesson, but it also, every single year I see kids get their heart broken and then I see their hearts heal. And then I see them go off to college and I see them make it work and it works out. Things work out and they're fine. And the sooner that parents are fine and the sooner that parents recover, the faster the kids recover and the faster the kids decide I'm okay. And that's important. But yeah, it isn't personal. But yes, these people work really hard. And I have to tell you, I love some of these admissions officers have done things for kids, have gone back and read things about kids, have gone above and beyond for kids, and they're good people. So at least you know good people are reading your kids' stories, you know? Yeah, that's good to know. It's nice to have that that insight about them because it's true. Like It's like Oz, right? They're the man behind the curtain making all the magic happen, but so good message, parents, listen to this. This is about us and what we're putting on our kids. We need to not be doing that anymore. Do the um, Just do the work on yourself. Like you have yeah. to work on yourself and it's hard, yeah. but it's worth it. We need us. This has been so helpful. I could talk to you for hours. Yeah. I might have to, I might have to have you back for part two. Yeah. Um, I love talking about it. And I think that that's the best part of this job is that um, I don't get sick of it ever. I like yeah. what I do. And so it doesn't matter how exhausting it is or how tired I am. Or if a kid texts me at midnight, it doesn't really matter because I, I just love it. And I love, I love getting to be a part of it. I honestly feel like it's a privilege to be a part of these kids' lives and to be a part of their stories. So, Well, your passion comes through. I've seen you speak in other forums and read some of the stuff you've written and it's clear you do love what, what you do and you're good at it and you're adding so much value and helping so many families. So thank you for that. Yes. And thank you for being here. So I have a feeling people are going to want to hear more from you and follow you. What's the best way for everybody to find and follow you online? Well, if you are a family in Florida, only in Florida, you're allowed to join my Facebook group. I limit it to Florida families because it just gets really confusing when you're talking about different states. And I can talk to different states and different high schools, but all the other people in the group get like their heads start spinning. So um, if you're in Florida, you can join my Facebook group, which is Central Florida College Bound. Um, 
And other than that, you can um, look for my stories on today.com or on Grown and Flown, but I'm on Twitter uh, like everybody else and Instagram. And I am at Dunbar Educational Consultants where you can enroll your kid at Lake Mary Preparatory School. <laughs> That's, those are all the places I am. So I'm around. I'll put all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for being here. I I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. I had a good time. Well, that was eye-opening. I have to say my family has just started engaging in the process. We are researching, watching webinars, listening to experts, and doing all the things. As a family just embarking on this journey, I think the timing of my conversation with Allison was perfect. If you're a parent who is new to the college admissions process like me, or if you have been going through it before and are going through it again, I hope that what you heard today resonated with you and that it will reduce some of the stress that you and or your teen might be feeling. We parents are all in this together, and the fact that Allison brings a dual point of view both as a professional in the college space and as a parent going through the process again, well, that just brings me a huge sense of relief. So many important takeaways from this conversation. Here are my top three. One, we need to make sure that our kids know that we support their choice no matter what they choose. It might not be our choice, but it's their life and their choice, whether it's college, a college major, or another path entirely. Number two, it's not about finding the best college. It's about finding the best fit for them. We need to stop paying attention to the lists and what other people say is the best college to go to. We need to focus more on what our kids need and where they're going to find the best experience. Number three, college acceptance is never a measure of your child's worth. Our kids need to know that no matter where they get accepted or where they don't get accepted, they are worthy and amazing and will go on to lead a happy and fulfilling life. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. If you're enjoying this podcast, please give me a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. All links and references mentioned during this episode can be found in the show notes at highschoolhamsterwheel.com slash seven six. Be sure to join me and my co-host Jay Dussold in our Life After 12th Facebook group and subscribe to our Life After 12th YouTube channel. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'll be back soon with another episode of the High School Hamster Wheel Podcast. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out.